Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast, the only official, unofficial Baltimore Ravens podcast from the United Kingdom. The Ravens beat the Texans to move to 1-0, but at what cost? Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast. I'm Shane Richmond, and I'm joined by some friends I met on the internet, James Ogden, Ian Domain, and Ben Mortimer. Uh, how are you doing, guys? Good, thanks, Shane. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. James, you seem to be out of the garage this evening. That's good. Out of the garage this evening, yeah. It's uh, improvement. Excellent. How are you doing, Ian? I'm good. I uh, I missed the game on Sunday. I'll hold my hands up. I was uh, enjoying an anniversary dinner. Um, but unlike many people, I had quite a good experience with Darren or Dazen or whatever his name is. Um, so I've, I've now caught the game up and I'm, I'm ready to go. Perfect. Well, that's their first rave review. We'll stick that on their uh, on their website. There weren't very many good reviews going through on Twitter. I was sort of periodically just checking out what people were saying about it and they didn't like it. Didn't go Why? well. I, I didn't. I mean, I, I I was on it on the fire stick, and I didn't have any issues on the live broadcast. James is like you know the kid whose Christmas toys now being returned to him because we have coaches' film, um, and the American ads were there. So what were people complaining about? There, there was no pre-game, was there? Was there I didn't no. see any pre. And there was, was some. <laughs> I mean, my the problem with mine was that the sound was slightly out of sync with the visuals, which isn't a problem when you're watching the game, but it made the ads really weird. Because nobody's mouths were in sync with the sound, but that wasn't the end of the world. We had somebody else in our Twitter mentions who was saying that they couldn't get it to work at all, and they had been given a priority uh, by DAZN, uh, and they were waiting for them to call back. But they'd been waiting, I think, three hours at that point, so they may still be waiting, for all I know. Uh, and there were lots of other people raving about various problems that they were having. Sound seemed to be a big one, um, or things dropping out, or whatever. But, uh, but yes, anyway. That's pretty sad because, as I said, I was out for dinner. I got back and I had the option. I, I, I got back midway through the fourth quarter and I stuck it on. I, I hadn't been, you know, keeping the score quiet or anything. I, it was the Texans. We were going to win the game. We all knew that. So I was following along. Um, and I got, got back mid-fourth quarter, loaded it up. I had, it didn't spoil anything on the homepage. There was no score on there. I had the option to start from the beginning or join live. I joined live. There was a really nice little button at the bottom with spoilers that I could click and hide. And if, if you chose to have that spoilers button up, then it had all the highlights at the bottom and you could just jump around in between them. Um, it's, it's disappointing that some people have had a really bad experience with it because I, I thought it was fantastic. Hmm. Maybe you're the new job as design. You're as excited about your your anniversary meal, Ian, as you are <laughs> about some, the design. I had some lovely barbecue, Ben. It was very nice, followed by cheesecake. Perfect. Um, Maybe it's just well, those that... chiselled Game Pass veterans that have been that have you know understand that like twelve years ago when they moved provider, you wrote off the first three weeks of the season. <laughs> it's kind of like I, I, it was fine to me, like and like then, it, so yeah. This, That was definitely bad in the old days of Game Pass. And it was, yeah, I mean, my experience wasn't as bad as that. The ad sound thing was a little bit irritating, but it wasn't the end of the world. So we'll see how it goes um, on another week. And is it wrong to want the Ravens' opponents to score if it will get you within a point of your predicted scoreline on the previous week's podcast? That's what I was wondering towards the end of the game. Fantasy football, isn't it? If you're playing against someone who's your star player you 
have a, you can't re- you can't really repress it because if they do score, you're like, oh yeah, let's offer a silent fist pump, but no, not really. So I, 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 I think I was within a point of my score on last week's podcast, but they didn't get it anyway, so it didn't really make any difference. Uh, but anyway, before we get into talking about the game, we've got um, we've got some news to get through, and the start of the news is that uh, earlier this week the Ravens confirmed their plans for the London weekend. Um, ben, can you take us through what they uh, what they unveiled? Yep, it's the cat is now officially out of the bag, and after. A couple of months after following our retraction of saying that the official team pub was the Counting House EC3, I am happy to announce that the official pub is the Counting House EC3. So that is now uh, official. Um, I think we can, if we haven't already, advise uh, everyone that we have personally been to visit in the capacity of me, Ian, and Gaz anyway. Uh, and it is massive. It's, it's uh, I think, the biggest, fullest pub. I might I stand to be corrected, but it's certainly the biggest, fullest pub that NFL UK have used to date. And we were advised um, when we did visit that this was specifically requested um, by the manager who used to be the manager at the Admiralty, who many of our listeners will remember from that fantastic night in 2017, or two nights really, Friday and Saturday uh, back then, um, because they were blown away by the um, the, black, the purple and black uh, outpouring of fans, and they couldn't really contain them or serve them quick enough and things like that. So I think this time they remembered that. Uh, they know that our fans travel en masse, both from Baltimore and also from across the UK uh, and Europe. So I think it'll be a, a good uh, a good hub uh, for Ravens fans throughout the weekend. Um, it, it is in the city. It's kind of in the financial area where you've got these old uh, funny named streets, one of which is, I think it's like Bengal Alley or Bengal Street or something. So, yeah, you've got to stay away from that or do something to the sign, but I didn't encourage anyone to do that uh, at two in the morning. Um, uh, but that, so that, so that'll be Thursday night. They have their, uh, their welcome evening, uh, welcome to London from six to eight. Um, they are bringing over cheerleaders. They're bringing over Poe. Um, they're bringing over some legends, uh, yet to be named. So, uh, that'll be a lot of fun. And they're giving out the usual merchandise. Friday, um, they'll be, they're doing a bus tour in the day, I think. Is that right? Um, and then on the open top, Ravens bus. Only team in the NFL, I think, to take out the open top bus uh, this year anyway. So, again, leading the uh, the other teams in um, open top bussery. And then uh, we've got the Friday night uh, live recording of the fabulous Lounge podcast um, with our friends Ryan and Garrett. Ryan, of course, who was on the show. Um, and... Uh, I'm sure that we'll, uh, in a UK Ravens capacity, be hanging about somewhere there. So I think that would be a good place to go on the Friday night. Um, Saturday, of course, we have Belushi's, which is the unofficial, um, but it is the unofficial official UK Ravens, because I'll just interject at this point that the Ravens did actually tag UK Ravens on Twitter. So we are now officially recognised as being... just a a social magnet for this weekend so that was great to see and to follow up on that on the actual guide to london as we just spotted today my wife's hand is on that page so it's the one holding that football with the um 
uh, with with the, the sort of raven's nail varnish or the things that she'd stuck on her fingers. I, I should remember this jamboree. It was it was called back then um, in twenty seventeen, and they took a picture of it, and we'd never seen it again until today when I <laughs> looked on the website and was like, oh my god, that's your hand. So um, so yeah, so that's that's also recognised. Uh, and then we've got uh, Saturday at Belushi's. Saturday evening will be the flop party six till eight. So um, that will be again. Quite kind of similar to, I think, the Thursday thing, which will have the cheerleaders, the uh, uh, Poe, a few giveaways, uh, getting the audience pumped, the crowd pumped for the following day's action. And then, of course, on Sunday, it's game day. There's a few activities around the stadium, but I wouldn't go to uh, maybe, uh, t- I wouldn't spend too long at any of those because obviously the place to be will be the uh, tailgate, the UK Ravens tailgate at Redemption Brewing Co. Uh, but on the way in, maybe stop and say hi. Great. So, um, yeah, quite a selection. And we've got. Uh, our own uh, 20th birthday party, which is happening on the Saturday night, a 10-minute walk away from uh, Counting House, uh, depending on how fast you walk, I guess. Um, Ian, how how's that going? Yeah, that's going really well. So it's a midday start for that. We keep saying Saturday night. It's a, it's a midday start, so it's going to be running all day. We've got 16 tickets left. That's it. So if you haven't got your tickets get them now because um this this thing's going to sell out pro- probably next week um it's going to be a great day the ravens we've spoke to they're going to send some people down our way again i think i think you might have already seen poe the cheerleaders marching band all, all going to be there um if you have got a ticket to this and you're, and you're worried you're not going to make it to the counting house as shane says it's 10 minutes myself and ben we've we've walked this before it's very easy to do it's a straight road so you can come and go between between the events don't worry about that um it's it's, it's going to be a, a really good time excellent uh and the tailgate also um up into several hundred tickets that have that have gone but there's still there's still plenty of space for that if people want to come along isn't there yeah, there's lo- loads of space for that. Again, that's that's sold really well. Um, I think it's up to about 400 people at the minute for the tailgate. Um, and that's Sunday morning, as Ben said, at, at Redemption Brewery. It's a 10-minute walk away from the stadium. Uh, there's going to be food. There's going to be drink. There's going to be music, games, giveaways. It's going to be a really good time. Cool. So, uh, so yeah, check out ukravens.org if you want to go and uh, book tickets for those things. And we look forward to seeing you. Um, that is all in, uh, well, it's actually, as we record this, it's like exactly a month's time. It's the 14th of September as we record this. We're talking about the 14th of October. Um, but uh, before we get to that, we have a few Ravens games to get out of the way. The first one of those happened this week, and it left uh, a bit of trail of injuries in its wake. Uh, J.K. Dobbins done for the year as you've probably heard by now with uh, torn achilles marcus williams will be out for some time he's got a pectoral injury i think the amount of time he's out for probably depends on whether or not he decides to have surgery i think if he has surgery he's probably done for the year if he doesn't then he might be coming back uh he may be able to get some what was it that ray lewis was using like like oh, elk de- spray or something deer 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 spray i think it was. Yeah. Yeah. Ray's got some, deer antler spray wasn't yeah, it specifically perhaps, for perhaps, the antlers yeah perhaps ray's got some left um if marcus wants to uh to try that out um what else happened <laughs> Sorry, that just made me laugh much more than it should have. It's not particularly funny. Uh, Ronnie Stanley injured his knee. Uh, Tyler Linderbaum injured his ankle. Both of them got rolled on, um, basically, with uh, other players getting knocked over and onto their legs. Just kind of freak injuries. They are week to week, um, as John Harbour says. And when John Harbour says that, 
Who on earth knows what that means? It could be anything. We don't know. Which week one to which week? No clue. Sauron could be dead, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) He could be dead. Yeah, it's, I mean, we haven't seen them. We should, that's, I think this is the next stage for Raven's injury press conferences. It's like, this is fine, John, but can we see proof of life, please? Like a picture of Tyler Linderbaum with today's Baltimore Sun. Otherwise, all bets are off. Um, but I mean, <laughs> happily for the Ravens, they aren't even the only injured players, are they, Ian? Who else have we got on the list? They're not so. Poor Marlon Humphrey, he's, he's still not practicing. Um, uh, I don't think we're going to see him out on the field on Sunday. He, he seems happy enough. He's doing his podcast. He's tweeting and he's, he's sort of social mediaing away, but I don't think he's very close to playing football. Um, which which is a shame because you'd like to see him out there against against this Bengals attack, but probably sensible in the long run. They're gonna they're gonna need him later on in the season. And we're not even done there, Ben. Who else is injured? Well, Mark Andrews, as we uh, are aware of from last week, you know he he picked up this injury in preseason. Uh, there was talk all week, will he, won't he? And um, the impression was that the coaching staff and the medical staff erred on the side of caution. Um, he's a critical player. It's a you know long season. And they were playing the Texans. Um, this week, apparently, he has practiced, uh, but, you know, it's still lingering. He's not, obviously not 100%. It's the same question this week. Do they, when is the right time to bring him in where the reward outweighs, outweighs the risk? Um, certainly bring him back too early. He aggravates it. He's out for weeks and that would be a disaster or, you know, God forbid the season. Um, so I don't think, again, we'll know on, on Andrews until far closer to game time. Um, you know, you'd certainly argue that you know the Bengals are not the Texans, and we could use every offensive weapon that we can uh, field this week. Um, especially with potentially the need to score and and keep up with them. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll have to see. So it's it's not ideal. No, at least the good thing there is that he is one player who we might see. We are almost certainly not going to see the others. Uh, and James, the Ravens made a few moves um, to to presumably sort of help with some of those guys who they're going to be missing. Yeah, so the Ravens picked up a couple of a couple of guys, um, Duran Harmon specifically, um, the one that's sort of the most of note, I think, uh, who's a long-time Patriot safety, um, just feels like a bit of insurance, really, against Marcus Williams. Um, I think people sort of are going to kind of, obviously people move towards the Dobbins injury, and it is a, it is just awful that, um, that J.K. suffered another injury, um, of this type when he looked uh, primed for a, a big season and hopefully primed to sort of fulfill the potential that we, that anybody who watched him at Ohio State saw and that anybody, any Ravens fan that watched him in his first season, um, could see quite plainly. Um, just one of the most talented running backs to come out in the last few, in the last few years. And so it's a real disappointment, but I think people sort of got over the Marcus Williams injury. And if that is a, a long term injury, uh, that, that sort of sees him out for most of the season again. I think it will limit what some, some of what the Ravens defense can do. And Duron Harmon's not going to help that, unfortunately. Um, it will end up being, uh, kind of Geno Stone, Cal Hamilton tandem, probably at safety going forward now. And Geno Stone did pretty well, uh, last year when he came in. We talked about that a lot when he came in for, for Marcus Williams. So that should be uh, a hole plugged to an extent. I just don't think anybody is quite at the, the, there are a few safeties in the NFL that are quite at the level of Marcus Williams in this scheme. Um, I think it's, uh, it was such a savvy signing and, and it's just such a shame that, that we, we, you know, we just not got anything of, of value out of him really because of the, because of now the two injuries 
so I think it will be a he'll be a big miss. Um, Dobbins will be a miss too, but you know, somewhat replaceable with Gus Edwards um, and probably Justice Hill, who's who looks like he's um, reaching a bit of a crescendo with his career as well. So yeah, the Marcus Williams one hurts. Tell you, James, if if Duran does end up playing on Sunday, I won't say a prayer for us now. I'll save it for the morning after. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, this is what happens when we'll, Gaz isn't here. <laughs> we just got the rails with ten minutes of design. Gaz talk wouldn't have even got that. That's way too old for Gaz. <laughs> it is. It's a bit, uh, you know, sort of late nineties is his starting point. I think, isn't it? Um, but I think that uh, James has a point that it's obviously it is terrible news for J.K. Dobbins, who just doesn't seem to have any luck at all, and in a contract year. Um, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen to him. Um, in terms of the Ravens, they do seem to have a bit more backup there than they do at safety. So they're probably, they're probably better able to manage without Dobbins than they are with, uh, with Marcus Williams. And, um, but you know, neither of them is ideal, annoyingly. So let's get to the game and, uh, recap some of the stuff that, uh, that happened during the game. The Texans were beaten 25 to 9 as the Ravens started their season 1 and 0 at home. Um, but Ben, it was, although it was a new offense, it was still a pretty slow start. Um, do you see them as being rusty or do you think it's a sign that we should be worried about the offense? I think it's too early to be overly concerned. I think that, um, rust was definitely a big factor. Uh, it was the first time they'd really played in anger together ever, uh, as far as the, the new scheme and any new personnel that's been inserted. Uh, obviously, the starters rested the entire preseason, so um, they're really going out there in competitive action, which you can't really replicate in practice uh, as far as the physicality and the speed of the game. So um, that's one factor. Obviously, you know we now have a new OC as well, and it's going to take time to gel, to um, run those uh, routes and schemes and everything he's inserted um, smoothly, properly and and efficiently. Um, But by the same token, that's not to completely let them off the hook because it was a fairly anemic performance um, and it was eerily reminiscent of quite a few performances last season. Um, uh, And I'm going to focus a little bit on Lamar as well because um, I, I don't think he, he he admits he didn't have his best game um, but there were certainly um, aspects of his decision making um, that left fairly large question marks um, not really taking the time to try and look downfield you could blame that uh, a limited time to throw in certain circumstances because the line didn't cover themselves in huge amounts of glory either in some pass protection situations um, but he certainly didn't look dialed in um, and looked a little uncomfortable I think that's the word to use would be discomfort on Lamar's part he needs to feel like he has the trust uh, in his line to give him that protection and he also needs to feel he has the trust in the guys downfield which even though he's been working you know very closely with OBJ and, and, and Zay Flowers and all the new guys that come in and obviously you know he's, he's familiar already with Bateman um, to not have the safety valve of Mark Andrews is probably quite big um, to have you know uh, Cola have a, one particularly nasty drop as well wouldn't really instill confidence in throwing to, to him um, so yeah it was it, it was a day to forget for the offence I don't think you hit the panic button yet 
Um, but you know, you look at teams like the 49ers that hit the ground running and come out of the gate and look a lot more efficient straight away. Um, and so you have to be not complacent too. So I think we kind of got away with one. It was happy. It was good that we were playing the Texans in the first week. So I think if we'd come out against a better team, we'd have had some significant problems. Um, but obviously the only way is up. So let's look positively, uh, on, on that side of things. Yeah. And I suppose it's possible they might have taken that into account that the first game was against the Texans they felt pretty confident about it so they could sort of treat it as a as a fourth preseason game um it was I mean it was actually fairly even in terms of running and passing I think everybody sort of was talking up Todd Munkin as a as a big um passing guy and they thought that the, you know some of them may have thought that the Ravens were going to substantially switch what they did but it was uh, actually 33 runs to 26 passes um, and passing wise the average depth of target for Lamar Jackson 4.6 yards which is not a lot when you think about it really um, but um, part of that I mean how much of that was game plan how much of that do you think uh, was down to offensive line James because the offensive line seemed to be struggling to hold back that Texans pass rush a lot of the time maybe forcing Lamar to make decisions more quickly than he wanted to yeah it was interesting to see the Texans kind of took a lot of took a lot of flat for the way they managed the draft this year picking up Stroud and then and then trading back up for Will Anderson um, was an interesting choice um, but Will Anderson, you know, there was no real doubting the talent of the player for anybody who watched him at Alabama, um, watched him closely and evaluated him. He was, he was a phenomenal talent, uh, and kind of showed out a bit on Sunday. And I think, uh, he will show himself to be a pretty good pass rusher throughout the course of the season. So Will Anderson aside, there were some worrying sort of issues on, on that offensive line, um, specifically with, and John Simpson more so than than uh, than some of the others. Morgan Moses no, struggled, but as I said, I think Will Anderson kind of got the better of him. I think Simpson's struggles in pass protection. He was good in the run game, but Simpson's struggles in pass protection were a little bit concerning. Um, and they're going to have to look at that moving forward. And and it's a little concerning given that they don't. I don't really think they have much of an alternative um, to go to their left guard. Um, Macari, as we talked about before, is a good swing tackle and I think will come in for Stanley. Hopefully Stanley's only gone for a couple of weeks, in which case Macari being sort of plugging in will be good. Although I worry about him against Trey Hendrickson this week, um, even though I'm a big fan of Macari. Uh, but Mustafa at centre alongside Simpson is a little bit of a concern um, if that's the way they go. Um, I... <laughs> There will have been some of some sort of teething issues with 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 starting the new season, but there's some vets on that offensive line, and it just do, it didn't make sense that it was it was such a mess early on. Um, and as I said, I think Simpson was sort of the the weak link that got attacked, and so the Ravens are going to have to look at that um, at some point throughout the season. You know, Lamar will be able to to carry them through, and there were some things he did again this week that were just out of this world in the way he, he, he maneuvers in the pocket and then scrambles. Um, so I, I think it'll be interesting, but yeah, for me, it wasn't a great performance. They cleaned it up a bit in the second half and it got a lot better. Um, so maybe that's something to sort of hang your hat on and they'll be able to, to get it going, but it's definitely something to watch. It's a, a little bit of a concern that the kind of solid across the line, offensive line that we thought we had, two guys have gone down and one of them, one slash one and a half, two weren't quite performing um, this last week. So 
Uh, big test this week against that Bengals defensive line, especially with, as I said, Hendrickson, DJ Reader in the middle as well will be a problem all day. So, uh, yeah, interesting one to watch this week. And even the um, the running game itself was not particularly uh, setting things alight. Gus got uh, an average yard per carry of four. Dobbins, 2.8 when he was in the game. Justice Hill, 1.1, although partly that was because a couple of times he just ran out of yards. There was just an end zone there. Um, so uh, his yards per carry is obviously going to be reduced by that. He did uh, uh, about as well as you can ask. But they ran in for, for, for three TDs. I mean, Ben, did you think that um, the running game was surprisingly weak, given how good they have been? Or did you think it was just, you know, part of this all-round rust that was affecting the whole offense? Yeah, I think it's linked a little bit to the struggles that James just uh, went over on the offensive line. The, the holes were not necessarily being opened up. Um, the guys were getting beaten at the line of attack. And when that happens, there's not really uh, any room to run forward and gain yards. And, and that was the issue. So it's quite frustrating to watch. Uh, yeah, we're moving to Munken, who is certainly less of a running game innovative guru than his much maligned predecessor. Um, so, And I think also there might have been a desire, as you said earlier on, there was a sort of fairly even ratio of distribution of pass versus run, and um, and he was trying to get that pass game going, you know, obviously utilising Zay Flowers a lot. There was, you know, there was a lot of slants and short routes across the middle to, to Zay to try to get him going, and um, kind of... Uh, I guess maybe going against the expectation that the Texans would have had that we'd have been quite run heavy in the first game. But yeah, when we did try to run, yeah, there wasn't a lot there. Um, it looked like the, you know, using JK while healthy, um, in, uh, passing situations and, and, and doing misdirections and things like that was more, uh, fruitful than trying to run it up the gut. So I think, um, there's certainly, there's a requirement to work with that. Now we know that Gus is going to be the lead back where he's a little more one-dimensional than JK. That does lend itself more to trying to improve um, the power running game and, and it's really kind of hitting the A-gap hard. So I'm hoping that um, that will improve as well. And I think if, if we're saying that overall offense is rusty, then it's uh, with room for improvement, then it's only fair to say that let's give them longer than week one to get this thing going. Yeah, I think uh, what, what I would say is Justice Hill, how good do we really think he is? And is he worth $23 as a free agent off fantasy football? Because I bid 21 and the guy who works for me, Harry, bid 23 and I lost him. I thought that was a bit overpriced, but uh, it's the first week of fantasy football, folks, and it's the first time I've mentioned my fantasy team this year. <laughs> uh, yeah, nobody cares, Ben. But okay, um, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's going to be interesting, isn't it? It depends how much how much work he's he's going to get. And um, we talked a bit about how they they might try and replace the losses on the offensive line. So let's talk about how they might try to replace Dobbins. Um, John Harbour was pretty clear about this. He was asked, "Are you going to look to bring anyone in from outside?" And he said, "No. Um, he likes the guys that they've got. Um, obviously, they've got Gus Edwards and uh, Justice Hill." who are already on the team, and then Melvin Gordon is the guy who can step up um, from the practice squad, or was he Was he on the practice squad? He's, he's on the practice squad, yeah. So right. they, can, they can elevate him, what, three times, can't they? And, and, so, after, and after that, Keaton Mitchell will be back from, from his IR stint, presumably. So they've, they've, got, they've got the options there. Um, so so yeah, they do I'm, have I'm options, but um, social media and the commentary world is going mad for uh, Jonathan Taylor, who is in a standoff 
with the Colts at the moment who have wanted to, um, well, basically he, he's expecting more money. He doesn't want to carry on playing for them. He's currently either on the pup list or the injured, injured reserve. I'm not sure which it is, but he can't come back till week five anyway. Uh, and there's this growing idea that, uh, the Ravens should trade for him. Um, I mean, Ian, do you think they need to? Does it seem like a good idea to bring somebody in to replace Dobbins? No and no. It sounds like a horrible idea. Um, I, I love J.K. Dobbins. I, I think he's great. I'd, I'd have loved to have seen him get 1,200 yards this season and 10 touchdowns, and, and then I'd have probably said, well, thanks very much, but we'll, we'll go and draft someone else. I think that's just, it's horrible, but it's just the nature of the running back position at the minute. And as good as Jonathan Taylor is, I, I wouldn't want to be giving up anywhere near what the Colts have, are asking for him. Um, I mean, it's it's ridiculous what they're, they're valuing him at. Um, it, it, as Ben says, we, we've still got Gus, we've got Justice Hill, Melvin Gordon's going to fumble it a few times and then Harbour will kick him out the door. But I mean, there's, there's running backs around. There's just, you saw when, when all our running backs died last year, there's, there's guys out there and we were a very run first heavy offense last year that, that got by with whoever we had back there. We're, we're not that anymore. So I, I, I don't see the Ravens going out and spending money or, or giving away draft picks to, to get someone now. I think what's happened with, with Dobbins is is tragic for him as a uh, as a young athlete and a guy who was basically playing for his career this season. It was it was his contract year. I think that we all agree that we were waiting to see if he could return to that pre-injury um, burst that he had prior to the injury because yeah, last year he still looked you know he was giving a hundred percent. He was making plays, but he didn't have that last minute explosion to get to the end zone he was caught a few to, more than once once apparently clear um and an off season of uh conditioning and training i was really really looking forward to see him prove his point this year and i think it's fair to say that he is um bordering on elite back status given a healthy run of games and that might be gone forever now so um and i do think he also brought an, an elevation to the offense that no one on our roster can currently bring in the running back stable. So I think it is still a massive loss, but it's it's offset a little bit by the fact we do have capable backups by uh, changing the scheme a bit. And also we now have, and we'll talk about him later, Zay Flowers, who can do some of those things on the short receptions and make people miss that uh, maybe will compensate for the loss of JK. But uh, I, I did feel awful for him when he went off that field the other day. And any concerns that um, Gus Edwards has also had an injury past, and we can you know, we'd be putting as our new starter another guy who was who's had injuries recently, and that would be um, well. Is that a concern, James? Are you I'd be worried about our new running back lineup if they don't bring anyone in? Um, it's got to be a little bit of a concern. There's a there's a small concern with Gus, who I, who I think has proven this wrong. Um, now over the years, but there was a sort of small concern with Gus that the scheme sort of made him look a little better than he actually was. I think that's not quite right now. I think he's proved that he's a, he's a skilled back. Um, but there's certainly some doubt around, around him, you know, around his level of his explosion now. I think at 28 and coming on off, off the back of those injuries. So I think this, what this, backfield will end up being is a bit of a I'm not sure that Melvin Gordon is going to factor hugely in the backfield um, apart from the first sort of few weeks 
while Mitchell is on his eye Aston. I think at some point then they will bring Mitchell back in and then this is going to be a full-on sort of, um, I don't remember, people remember Brandon Jacobs and Ahmad Bradshaw and uh, I think they had another one in that Giants backfield where they had basically like thunder and lightning and I think that's basically what this will be. They'll just use the guys in the way that they, they need to. I think Justice Hill has come on a lot as a running back. Um, I think he was a speed guy and I think he's developed himself as a back. Um, and so I think you'll see a lot of Hill. I think you'll see a lot of Edwards um, in certain situations. And that will allow them to bring in Keaton Mitchell into into scenarios where he can be effective. Um, you know, you do not, do not want Keaton Mitchell running between the tackles consistently for, um, you know, 30 snaps a game. That's just not what we want um, uh, from his skill set. But what we do want is him as a bit of a scat back out of the backfield get him split out. They could do some interesting things with him and Flowers on the field at the the same time. So I think they'll have a plan um, to involve Mitchell longer term. And I'm sure Melvin Gordon will be there as a kind of break glass in case of emergency type back. But I think, I think this will go Edwards and Hill um, will dominate the touches. Uh, And like I said, I think at some point they'll bring in Mitchell as a, as a, um, as something different into the backfield and, and work it through that way. Uh, it's certainly not a bad back committee, a backfield committee, frankly. Like that's still a good backfield committee, and I think there are some teams in the NFL that would kill for that stable of, of running backs, even even without Dobbins. And we've mentioned Zay Flowers a few times. Um, he had uh, a, a pretty good day, not perhaps as good as we were maybe expecting from our um, our predictions on last week's podcast, um, but uh, he did pretty well. Uh, James, how did you? What did you make of his debut? Well, my, my prediction came entirely true, Shane. I said that he would have over fifty yards after the catch, and he had fifty-four yards after the catch, which I gloated about on on X uh, uh, during this week. Yeah, I, I he I had a hunch that this was the way they were going to use him, which is why I said he would get fifty yards after the catch. Uh, I had a little safety net that I thought maybe he might take a slant to the house at some point, and that would be uh, from a long way out, and that would get him the 50 yards. But he did it the way I expected him to get it, which was them getting in the ball around the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, Todd Monk and bringing across some concepts from from college, um, from his stint in college, and and giving sort of bringing those in and using say flowers as a weapon was really great to see. I saw some comments about kind of overusing him um, in that role, and and you know losing a few losing some yards towards the end. It wasn't a predictable thing. It just sort of happened that they lost some yards towards the end. I think the thing I would say about Flowers was that he proved he can win in lots of different ways. Uh, you saw his ability to win in man, against man coverage, um, the way he can, you know, his explosion out of his breaks, the speed was there for all to see. It's exactly what we saw at Boston College. It's exactly what I've been talking about now for months, about what you're going to see out of Zay Flowers as a, as a receiver in Baltimore. Um, but what you also saw was the side to his game that, um, sort of wasn't as as sort of pumped up in preseason, which is he's a savvy receiver. You know, there were there were a couple of times when um, Lamar was able to target him in in Gaz's favorite uh, NFL term, target him in the honey hole, um, which is the uh, which is the space between the um, the zones in cover two on the sideline. It's the kind of bit of the of cover two that is is the weakness of the of the of, the, of that particular zone coverage. Um, and he was targeted twice. Once was on a, a great route that he ran, um, which was like a little out route, which got him on, got him open on the sideline and Lamar found him. And then the other one was kind of a, a drift. So he sort of drifted towards the sideline. It was more of a kind of, um, understanding where the soft spot in the zone coverage was and getting there. And Lamar hit him with timing. And it just, 
that and then the the other one that really stuck out was that pivot route where he um came in which is a sort of come inside as if you're running a slant but then pivot outside to the sideline and he ran that with perfection and but the great thing about that that was showcased was the thing that was on show all day long which was his his yards after catch ability which was that he he caught that with a small feign towards the sideline, which sent the defender going one way and he went back the other way and picked out up another 10 yards after the catch, which is just something we haven't seen in Baltimore in years. Really not since Steve Smith, I don't think really, in terms of a, a, a receiver who's going to be able to set defenders up and consistently get yards after the catch. So I thought it was an incredibly exciting debut. I think he will be continued to be used as, as what looks like the primary receiver. Uh, like a little disappointed that Odell only got a couple of catches, but I think that will that will come with time. I think, he, and and really, all they need is him to be a kind of competent foil. Bateman was certainly the third wide receiver of this group. He played the last snaps, but the thing that was really interesting for me about wide receiver usage, which maybe someone else can talk 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 to, is the fact that they they had forty snaps with three wide receivers on the field. Uh, I think they had, I think it was just more than forty, and I think they had about one hundred and fifty of those all season last year. Um, so this is a very different offense. Um, it is looking to utilize um, those threats at wide receiver. And uh, although it was rusty in the first half, there were glimpses of potential there. Um, and I'm excited to see the development of this offense as we go through the next few weeks of the season. I, also I, think, would... I think we're all, we're all rightly excited about Zay Flowers. It was, it was a, a debut that, I don't think any one of us as Ravens fans has ever really seen um, something like that from from a wide receiver. But but the other guys as well. I think it's it's exciting because the Ravens didn't really use the middle of the field. When when have you ever seen a Lamar Jackson offense where the tight ends have had one catch? That's it. Just doesn't happen. There was, you know, so you get Mark Andrews back in there occupying the middle of the field. But suddenly Zay Flowers is going to have a little bit more room. Odell Beckham, for me, I mean, he, he had the two catches, but I think importantly as well, he drew those two PI flags. Again, we haven't seen that since the Tory Smith, Joe Flacco days. Um, couple of, couple of free 10, 15 yards a game. More, more than happy with that. And he's obviously still got the hands. That catch he made o- over, the, over his shoulder was, was superb. Um, and o- Odell's, I, I didn't expect this from him. I haven't watched an awful lot of Odell throughout the years, I'll, I'll be honest. But he blocks like a madman in the run game. He's just hitting people. And and even Zay Flowers as well. I mean, Gaz talked about it a couple of weeks ago. He was really worried about Zay and the, the Marquise Hollywood Brown comparisons. You go and watch the touchdown runs. Zay Flowers is smashing people. So's Devin Duvernay. Like, these are, these are willing blockers that, I didn't expect that out of Beckham and maybe I was a bit with Gaz on, on the flowers. I thought he, he, you know, yards after contact, he, he'd run at people. I wasn't so sure he'd, he'd show up in the run game and get involved, but these guys are out there actually hitting people. And in addition to having three wide receivers on the field, much, much more than the Ravens had uh, in the past, he, he was also using them much more intelligently. There were some stacked releases and there were just some nice ways of of getting them to line up rather than just having, you know, three guys in a line, which was typically what Greg Roman was doing. Um, And so that was quite a nice thing to see as well. Um, I guess that uh, we should probably talk about the other side of the ball at some point. So um, first of all, Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen seem to uh, step in very nicely compared to where they were last year. Ben, what did you reckon? 
Yeah, it was uh, that was a real positive. We talked about you know, some of the negatives of the offense, but I thought uh, uh, defensively um, we had ourselves a good day, and pass rush was obviously optimal to improve this year. We talked about that in the preseason, especially making up for the lack of Marlin um, and uh, potentially weak secondary and, and giving the uh, the quarterback less time to, to go through his reads. And I think we did that really, really well. Um, and the Smith-Queen um, double act looks like it has a hell of a lot of potential to be one of the most devastating uh, sort of one-two punches in the NFL. Um, I think that uh, the signing of Rokon Smith this probably the best thing that's ever happened to Patrick Queen uh, whether it yeah, he stays with us or goes elsewhere, um, it's made him a better player, it's allowed him to play with more freedom and in a role that he excels in uh, taking some of the weight of responsibility off Queen as well I think when he you know, was first signed a lot of Ravens fans were anointing him the successor to Ray which is not fair because he's a different type of player but um, yeah, together they, they were, um, you know, when one of them wasn't causing havoc um then the other one was uh, the other one was and 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 the one that was staying back was was doing a great job of uh, uh in in coverage and and queen was excelling in that too uh so um and smith is just a beast isn't he i mean he's he's one of the best free agent acquisitions I think the Ravens have ever made um, and he's transformed the defense he kind of took off from where we were last year with him um and yeah the uh, i think um you know, Oway benefits as well from from these guys doing their thing. Um, and he had a a, a, a a promising first game um, after the concerns we had about Adafi as well. So, um, yeah, I was very excited by that. And it's just nice to see sort of natural pressure occur by some creative scheming as well. Um, and uh, yeah, I think that um, that was that was a big a big plus. And overall. Five sacks from a, a range of different players. Ian, was that what we expected against a uh, rundown Texans offensive line, or was that a sign of a good pass rush that's playing well? It's hard to know. I I was impressed with with the pass rush. Um, it's it's been a big concern for a lot of people. Five sacks you can't you can't take that away from anyone. Two of those did come from Rokon Smith and Patrick Queen, the middle linebackers. One of them came from Darius Washington, I think it was, um, coming off the corner. So uh, you're only I looking mean, at two. Clowney should have had two, shouldn't he? Cl- Clowney should have had. I thought Clowney had a good day. I'll, I'll be honest. I thought Clowney was good. Um, again, I'm, I'm putting it down to it's week one. Clowney's usually a really sure tackler. So to see him not get the guy on the floor when he when he got there both times I was a little bit surprised by um that the knock against him is he doesn't actually get to the quarterback well he got to the quarterback he just didn't get him on the floor so I I was I was pleasantly surprised by Clowney um I give a shout to David Ajabo who for some reason everyone's gone in on over the preseason giving him absolute pelters the guy's played three NFL games he now's got two strip sacks in those three games I mean if he keeps keeps that that ratio up we'll be pretty happy with that and um I, i'm, I'm going to spoil it now we're going to do raven of the week in a minute if someone hasn't snapped up a daf aoa then he's my he's my pick already i think i thought he was sensational um people are going to go on and on and on about how he didn't he didn't get a sack he didn't get there if, if you look at quarterback hurries i think he was number two in the in the league in the whole the whole league this this week and he was the guy that wasn't going up against a scrub on the texas line there's there's a lot of sort of bit part players on that texans line laramie tunsell is not a scrub he's a very good left tackle and oa gave him fits all day 
Um, and on the back end of the defense, um, I was, I mean, honestly, I didn't think Ronald Darby and, um, and Brandon Stevens did a great job in pass defense, particularly given who they were up against. Uh, I thought Adari, uh, Adarius Washington, is it Adarius Washington? Adarius Washington, I thought he was pretty good in the slot. Um, but James, what did you make of the Ravens pass defense? Yeah, I think they got, you know, victimized a little bit by a, a Texans offense that was kind of determined to have CJ Stroud just sort of not <laughs> crap the bed on his first start. They, they made it very easy for him. Uh, they got the ball out quickly. Like they, they were really, that's why I think sort of Ian's right to sort of pull out away and, and some of that, that, that pass rush because it did have a good day without the production. And I think that was more a feature of the Texans offense than a feature of the, the play that they, that they had. Um, it was promising. I think from a defensive back perspective, um, as you've mentioned, going up against that core of wide receivers it is a, you know, it, it, it was not a great performance. It's not what we, it's, it is what is expect, should be expected though from this group without Marlon Humphrey. I think you bring Marlon Humphrey back. That does change this quite drastically. Um, because I think Ronald Darby is a fine number two. I do not think he is a number one. Um, and that's what he's been asked to do. And so an, a sort of average to solid number two is going to be a, a problematic number one corner and um, going up against the number one wide receiver each week. So that is going to be a concern going forward. Uh, Mike McDonald is going to have to continue to hide um, that, that aspect of the, of the defense. It felt like he did a pretty good job of it given the, the tools they had on, on Sunday. Um, but you really can't make a judgment going up against that, those core of wide receivers and a rookie quarterback. It will be really interesting to see what happens now, obviously, against Cincinnati on Sunday. Um, and whether the Ravens are able to, to avoid getting absolutely gashed by a, a Bengals wide receiver core that, uh, you know, they just, this, this set of Ravens corners looks really overmatched against them. And especially without Marcus Williams. Um, patrolling the back end as well. Uh, that's just going to be a, a real, real um, sort of p- bit of concern for the Ravens, uh, like a section of concern for the Ravens over the course of the next few weeks until until Marlon is back in the lineup. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well, we're going to talk about the uh, the Bengals game in a minute, but uh, obviously there's quite a difference in the terms of wide receiver in terms of the wide receivers they can deploy uh, compared to the Texans. So. Uh, let's wrap up this game before we move on to uh, talking about the next one. Um, Raven of the week, then, James. Who are you picking as your Raven of the week? <laughs> Great to go first because for me there is only one. Uh, although I do, I do, um, I like that Ian is going to go their way there. Um, but Zay Flowers obviously would be my Raven of the week. I'm going to continue to talk about him and my good opinion of him from the very start, just so that everyone forgets my James Prochet takes. Uh, ben, who's your Raven of the Week? Uh, I'll go uh, Patrick Queen, I think, for the reasons uh, just mentioned. I thought, you know, it's he's he's coming for a lot of criticism in a lot of games, and uh, to see him continue where he left off. And I said Smith was magnificent, but I think uh, w- w- where Queen has developed from to where he is now and the way he played on Sunday um, is very reassuring. So I'll give it to PQ. Uh, and Ian, we already know who you're going to pick, but make it official. 
We do indeed. Adaf AOA is my pick. I just want it known. I wrote the show script this week and we put this poll up on Twitter and we already know that Zay Flowers is going to win this by an absolute landslide. I'll be amazed if anyone else gets a vote. So I just wanted to make sure James got his moment here and he could pick his guy because he's been banging on the table for him all off season. Uh, and I think to round it off, um, cause you, you three guys have, have chosen, uh, some really good picks. So obviously they are off the table. Um, I think I'm gonna go with, um, Beckham, I think, because it was just really good to see a veteran wide receiver performance, those DPIs, that catch that he made. It was just good to see somebody playing with experience at that position and some real nows. Um, and, uh, I think that, bodes well for the rest of the season uh so long as i'm gonna knock on my desk loudly so long as he can stay fit um because there seems to be this whole kind of um injury bug going on for the is this i was trying to work this out the other day is this the fourth season or the third season where we've had ridiculous injuries when did this start in 21 or 20 or 20 it wasn't good in in 20 because that was um that was COVID, we had yeah. the covid year and we had to delay a game against the steelers by like nine days or something well so, it, wasn't, yeah, it, was, it was till wednesday but that's because everyone had covid um so yeah i think i think i mean la- yeah it's been the last two full seasons it's been the last two seasons that we've been decimated mm, by injury it has been yes it's been ridiculous and we would like it to stop now we'll have to get um does everyone remember Barry Fry when Barry Fry, the, the soccer manager, who was convinced that I think it was Birmingham City's um, ground was under a witch's curse? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So he went and weed on all four corner flags, um, and apparently that lifted the curse, and then everything was fine. And I mean, Barry, I think he's in his seventies now, but I'm wondering whether he would like a trip to Maryland because. I mean, it's nice this time of year. He probably likes seafood. It needs to be the head coach to do it, doesn't it? So Harville's going to have to go and do that. Oh, does it have to be the head coach? Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, if if they want to send him down the road to Landover, you know, he can, you know, irrigate the entire entirety (laughs) of FedEx field with his urine. (laughs) The corners aren't just going to do the job, are they there? (laughs) No, that's very true. Well, we'll have to, we'll, we'll get to the bottom of just whose responsibility it is to do the weeing and then we will just make sure that somebody is 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 put on the task um right so uh, i'm no good with jingles so gaz is again going to have to insert the jingle uh but it is time for um the history corner for the week a richmond history i say that that gaz has to insert the jingles because um i'm kind of inept at doing this sort of editing stuff and because we're doing the bengals for the third fourth no the fourth time we did three times last year so this is the fourth time so i had to go back and listen to what i did last year so that i didn't repeat any of the stuff that i told you because obviously you you know you remember this very very carefully and you know you're taking notes and all of that sort of stuff so it'd be very embarrassing if i repeated myself uh, and I listened back to one of them, and it started with me going, I'll get Gaz to insert the jingle there, because I can't figure out how to do it. So Gaz clearly didn't listen back at all to what I was saying, inserted the jingle without paying any attention to the words. But So so all of that is probably going to stay for you to listen to, I'm sure. Um, right, so I'm going to actually carry on from where I left off in one of the stories last week, uh, last year, when I was talking about the Bengals, where I was saying that um, Paul Brown had had this sort of... It wasn't really a feud as such with Bill Walsh, but he kind of he upset Bill Walsh by uh, talking him down for jobs that he wanted. And typically, 
if you're the head coach and you've got a talented assistant, you're supposed to help them get jobs. You're not supposed to tell people that they're useless. But that's what he was telling people about Bill Walsh. Um, and Bill Walsh at the time was his uh, offensive coordinator. And what I was saying last year was that Bill Walsh basically invented the West Coast offense when he was in Cincinnati. So this all sort of... This this mistreatment of Bill Walsh um, unfortunately came back to haunt the Bengals uh, after long after Paul Brown had uh, ceased to be head coach because the Bengals had sort of stumbled around not really managing to do very much uh, since their foundation um, in the 60s. And then eventually in the early 80s, they finally made it to their first Super Bowl. Um, they got to uh, Super Bowl um, 18? 18, 17, no, 16, 16, I knew I'd get there in the end. They got to Super Bowl 16, which was played uh, in Detroit, uh, and the team they ended up facing were the San Francisco 49ers, who were, of course, coached by Bill Walsh. Um, and so you could kind of predict how this was going to go from, from the beginning. Um, the Bengals were in quite good shape. Ken Anderson, their quarterback, was very highly thought of. Uh, and their star wide receiver was a guy called Chris Collinsworth, who I'm sure you have heard of. Um, and uh, these days makes his living as a commentator. But in that Super Bowl, he got more than 100 yards um, and uh, got the longest um, completion of the day for, for either team with a 49-yard reception. Um, so as well as being a commentator, he was a good receiver back in uh, back in his day. Uh, he's also the reason why Pro Football Focus is based in Cincinnati, by the way, because uh, that's where he lives and uh, he bought the company. Um, but unfortunately for uh, the Bengals, having wronged Bill Walsh, inevitably they had to lose the game. They were 20, 20 nothing down at halftime, never really recovered despite a second half rally and they lost that Super Bowl 26-21. But it wasn't all bad news for the Bengals because they were still able to rebuild their team and get another shot at the Super Bowl. Ken Anderson retired so they brought in another guy you'll know from the telly, Boomer Esiason, um, who was a MVP quarterback again, really highly rated in his day. Chris Collinsworth still hanging around. He played in uh, a second Super Bowl. The Bengals made it with uh, what was at the time, kind of revolutionary. They were using a no-huddle offense an awful lot of the time. They didn't use it as much as the Bills did a few years later. Um, Bill Walsh was of the opinion that one day all teams were basically just not going to huddle, that this was going to be how the NFL would go. And it's never quite gone that way. But teams have sort of tried it every now and again. And uh, the Bengals did a pretty good job with it, made their way to a second Super Bowl and, of course, who should they run into but Bill Walsh and the 49ers again? Essentially, every time they got there, he was there, ready to smack them down. This was Super Bowl twenty-three, and I actually stayed up and watched this one. Um, and it's it was quite a famous finish in its day, because it was a dramatic last-minute drive from Joe Montana, taking them uh, all the way from the shadow of their own goalposts down um, to uh, the Bengals' end of the field, where they scored the winning touchdown, and they won that one twenty sixteen. Um, the Bengals kind of unlucky. Um, they lost uh, one of their defensive linemen, a guy called um, Tim Crumry, really early in the game, and uh, I think that kind of turned it that they weren't really able to get the pressure on Joe Montana after that. It was one of those injuries. And I would have been, how old would I have been, 15 or something when this was on? It was one of those injuries that was really horrible to watch on telly because his leg just went in a direction that legs aren't supposed to go. Uh, and that was kind of my experience of, uh, my first experience of that kind of injury. 
but somebody's leg sort of going 180 degrees and shattered two bones and uh, that was him done and ultimately it kind of put pay to the Bengals as well so it, it just kind of goes to show that you need to be nice to the people while they are on their way up because you don't know where they're going to end up being they might end up coaching for a team that just repeatedly smashes you in Super Bowls so that left the Bengals 0-2 in Super Bowls, and I was thinking, because they are 0-4 in Super Bowls, then the next time we play them, we can do their other two Super Bowl losses, and that can be my two Bengals stories for this season, and then next year they might have another Super Bowl loss for us to talk about, or they might not, but we'll see. So that's the, that's the Bengals history corner for this week. Okay, so, having got that out I of the way... I hope we never face Greg Roman in a Super Bowl, then. <laughs> well, we have... We've we got that yeah, out of the way yeah. already. So like we've that's, already that's before, been there. that's before we wronged it. But actually, we were yeah, trying to install well, the virtues to other teams. That's I think. Uh, I think John is probably very nice to the people that he he lets go. It's just the fans that Greg probably has it in for. Uh, but he probably. Yeah. I think John is one of these people who's like quite nice to people he used to work with. I think Jim. I think so. Jim's probably a right dick to people he used to work with. Yeah, he hates his own family. He hates everybody. Yeah. There's that great story that John Harbour told about how um, they had to move around a lot when they were kids, obviously, because Jack Harbour was a football coach. So, you know, he would be in a place for a few seasons and then they'd move on. And um, then John said that by the time they left each place, it was always at the point when he was Jim's only friend because everybody in the neighborhood hated Jim by that point. <laughs> so then they would move and start again. And Jim would just gradually annoy everybody again and again and again. Uh, anyway, Ravens, Bengals, we, here we are again. It's, it's being, the Ravens are being very, very careful not to talk about this as a revenge game. Um, but they are also saying, we really think we should have won that playoff game and we can't wait to have another crack at them. Um, Ian, is the week one match against the Browns for the Bengals something to give us some hope to hang on to? I think you can you can have a little bit of hope. I think I think you can. I think obviously Joe Burrow's missed some missed some time through the preseason. He had the, was it an ankle injury or Achilles or something? They held him out for a little bit, and and with that, and they played in terrible weather. But Joe Burrow looked awful. And um, Ben Ben mentioned his fantasy team earlier. I'm playing in a in a league this year. It's a charity league. A friend of mine's running the London Marathon for charity. There was a buy-in. I took Joe Burrow very early, and everyone in this league knows that I'm a Ravens fan, and they all gave me quite a lot of stick for it. And and this is what I said to them: If I'm picking Joe Burrow in fantasy, he's going to have the worst season he's ever had in his life. <laughs> so I'm taking one for the team here. And week one, it, it held true. He was he was truly awful. Whether that was him coming out rusty, missing the preseason, whether it was a wet ball, he he looked like he was throwing. Toblerones, not a football. I don't even know what he was trying to hold. It just wasn't going anywhere. Uh, well, eight, we thank eight. you for your service, having picked him up in uh, in fantasy at the very least. But even for charity, we don't care. So, <laughs> <laughs> eighty-two, eighty-two passing yards. Joe Burrow had in this game, which I presume is his his lowest number in in any start he's made. Um, I mean, the the Browns are a decent team. I think the the Browns are, are a pretty good team, but but they gave him fits all day. Um, Jamar Chase didn't didn't do much at all. Five catches, thirty nine yards. T Higgins didn't didn't have a single reception. Now Ronald Darby and Brandon Stevens aren't the Browns' cornerbacks, so you know there's there's room there. Um, 
but but the Browns ran all over the, the Bengals as well. The, the Bengals front is pretty pretty tough. You'd have thought. Um, Reader in the middle clogging things up. Nick Chubb's probably one of the top two running backs in the league. He ran all over them, and Deshaun Watson had forty or fifty yards rushing. And it's you know. He, it's not really been his thing of late is to to take off running so i think there is there is hope there for the ravens um and we spoke about it before the last time we played the bengals in that playoff game tyler huntley was the quarterback sammy watkins james prochet and demarcus robinson with the wide receivers so yes we've got injuries um but i think there is a, a little glimmer of hope there for the ravens so this is it Sorry, Shane. I was going to say this. I think people are kind of. I've seen a lot of AFC North previews, and there's all talk, all sorts of talk about the Bengals and the Ravens, and even some laughable talk of the Steelers being a very good team this year. Uh, I was uh, put pay two on Sunday. This Browns team, I just think, is is being quite overlooked, um, both by AFC North foes, but also by kind of national media. It's an incredibly talented team. When you start looking at it, Deshaun Watson is possibly one of the least talented guys on this roster. That, that offensive line is ridiculous. Nick Chubb is very good. The defense has now got Jim Schwartz coordinating it and, and looked phenomenal. Like, and there is a wealth of talent on that defense with, with Garrett and, um, and Denzel Ward and Greg Newsom and, yeah, there was just a, there was just a lot of talented guys on that, on that roster. So it didn't surprise me that they gave the Bengals a game. It surprised me that they beat them quite, by quite a bit, but I don't think this Browns team are going to, I mean, we'll talk about it next week, probably. <laughs> These, this Browns team are not to be trifled with. And, uh, so I think, uh, yeah, the Ravens can take some hope from that, but also should, should not t- take lightly how well the Browns played, uh, on Sunday. And in terms of matchups, I mean, it's a horrible position to be in, wondering whether we're as good as the Browns. But um, it's in terms of that matchup, we've got an offense that was looking rusty and sort of getting to grips with a new scheme and kind of getting to grips with each other after new, after no uh, no snaps together in uh, in preseason, and they're coming up against a defense that's. Um, I always think it's one of those things whenever people say the name that I always kind of assume that the Bengals defense is coached by Tony Romo's sister. Does anyone get that? Like Luana? <laughs> it's, uh, yes, yeah, Luana Romo. It's, um, it's Tony's sister. Uh, like just every time someone gets, says that, it's just the first thing that I think of. But, um, you know, that he, she, they put up, put out a good, uh, defense and this offense is going to have to, get its act together significantly better than they did last week aren't they James what do you think of like where are the matchups that we should be watching for yeah I think I think I've talked about Anna Rebo on the podcast quite a bit um over the over the over the years and especially um written about him quite a lot on, on Russell Street Report he's he's a hell of a not of a defensive coordinator like he's a he's a he's a very good defensive mind and he has that defense ready to play and he makes adjustments better than anybody any defensive coordinator in the league I think there are times when he uh, yeah, the, the famous one certainly was the Super Bowl a couple of years ago where they just shut Mahomes, uh, shut, um, oh, who were they playing in that Super Bowl? Goff. Was it Goff or was it, um, Stafford? No, I think the it Rams. Was Stafford. Yeah, it was Stafford and the Rams. The way they just shut that Rams offense down in the second half. Um, so I think, you know, he's, he's a very good defensive coordinator. The thing I would say though is one of the, 
brilliances of his defensive scheme is the back end and the way in which the defensive backs are able to be really interchangeable and are able to um, change up their looks pre and post snap. Um, they're a real ca- sort of chameleon of a defense uh, of a defensive backfield. Um, but what that relies on is a lot of experienced defensive backs playing. And in the past, they've had Jesse Bates and um, Mike Hilton and uh, um, oh, the other Von Bell. You know, they, they've had a lot of experienced guys back there. They've been playing together for a long time, and that ha- that that group has been broken up entirely. There's a lot of talent still there in Cam Taylor Britt and, and Dax Hill, but I think that's the place to tr- start to look to try and exploit is that secondary. And uh, some of the stuff that the Ravens did in the, on their offensive performance this week, where they, they, they were sort of putting people in motion, some of the, the motion they did with Zay Flowers was really interesting. Um, I think can possibly start to play on what isn't a weakness per se in the Bengals defense, but is a good like it's a good week to be playing the Beng- that Bengals defense to get them early uh, before that sort of unit has managed to gel and be able to do everything that Anarumo wants it to do. There are interesting matchups all over the field. I think Adafe Owe on Orlando Brown is an interesting one to watch. Um, I think there is some real kind of uh, good on bad, obviously, that we've talked about already with the Bengals wide receivers going up against that, that Ravens defensive backfield. Um and I would also watch out for DJ Reader in the middle of this offense, uh, middle of this defensive line, possibly wreaking havoc on Mustafa and Simpson if that ends up being the center left guard combination. So there are really interesting battles all over the field to watch. And I think can basically take your pick. There aren't that many good on good battles in this game. And um, there's lots of kind of strengths versus weaknesses. And, and it will be really interesting to see which, you know, which which of the sort of perceived weaknesses of, of both of these teams kind of managed to play up to, to a level that allows them to come away with the win. How much of, um, of what Todd Munkin was calling this week do you think was aimed at getting on film for the Bengals to see? Like, I was wondering this about the use of Zay Flowers in particular, was whether that was aimed at the Bengals' corners to say, yeah, this is yeah, we're going to use him mostly close to the line of scrimmage on some little sort of wide receiver screens and stuff. And I, I just wonder whether they're just going to send him deep much more against the Bengals than than they they wanted to show him in week one. Well, that's the thing that's, um, that will, I think, be refreshing about Munkin compared to Roman. And, and I've certainly defended Roman in the past because I, I don't think he deserves the amount of flack that he got from this fan base over the years. Um, but in the later years of his, of his reign, we certainly did see some sort of predictable week to week play calling. Um, you know, he wasn't really kind of doing any rope doping or anything that was kind of thinking about three weeks down the line. So I certainly think there's a chance that possibly that we are going to see that sort of strategic approach from Munkin, um, especially in a week where you're going Texels, the Texans, then Bengals, um, and, and you can pretty much rely on, on a good, good victory against the Texans. It, it will be like they need to start using Zay Flowers more at all three levels. Like they overused him at the, at the, um, Alara on the line of scrimmage, as we mentioned already. Um, but he, he proved that he can win at all three levels. And so possibly they will start to do that a bit more. And maybe it was just getting the ball in his hands early on in the season and, and getting him some touches. But I could see that, Shane. I think Munkin is that level of offensive mind and he's been around an awfully long time to sort of know that you have to be thinking three, four weeks ahead and thinking about different 
different opponents and how you're going to play them. And I, I have faith that he is sort of thinking about that. And it'll be interesting to see how his game plans evolve through this, through the year. He's also certainly not a coach that's just going to stick to his scheme and do what he's, what he's saying. He's going to be a guy who sort of adapts to the personnel, but I think also adapts to what is, what is called for week to week in, in different game plans. And, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see him craft that as, as we go through the season. Yeah. And I mean, Lamar only took one shot over 20 yards against the Texans. And that was that long pass that we've mentioned to, to Beckham that went for 29 yards. So otherwise they were keeping it very reined in, in terms of deep shots. So it's something to look out for. Um, in terms of who plays and who doesn't, we kind of did that at the top of, uh, the podcast. If you refer back, uh, I'm sure you can remember the, the, the list of players that are out. It's, it's long, but it's quite easy to remember at this stage. Um, so let's do predictions and props for the game. Uh, James, let's come to you first. What's your prediction for this game and your uh, player prop? I do think the Bengals are going to uh, beat the Ravens this week. Uh, possib- I think uh, the score I think we're going to see is a 26-21 to the Bengals. Uh, by the way, last week, I don't think any of us were going to get the scoreline because it was a scoregami last week. I don't know if everybody noticed that. Um, so I don't think anyone was going to get that last week. Um, so yeah, I think 26 I don't know what all the scoregami ones are, so I could have said that without <laughs> having any knowledge. No, but I think you... Do you do like I do, where I sort of think, oh, I think it'll be a touchdown, touchdown, yeah. two field goals sort of thing? Yeah, and it's, it yeah. wasn't one of those games, was it? Uh, but anyway, uh, and my player prop, I think, is that Lamar Jackson will go over um, 280 yards passing this week. Okay, cool. Um, ben, let's come to you. Yeah, I'm also in agreement with James that I think the uh, it'll go the wrong way this weekend. Uh, I, I, one of the elements of that is that Cincinnati will be reeling from that performance last weekend in a pretty miserable Cleveland. I do think that the the weather and the rain did have an impact on Burrow. I don't think that them calling them elves and things like that before the game really worked out very well. I do think that a lot of karma just smashed them in the face last weekend as well. But um, but uh, coming you know, back home to Cincinnati is the home opener. It, I've just checked the weather. It's going to be like 25 degrees, so there's no... Um, risk of that happening again and I think they're all going to be just frankly quite pissed off the Bengals so I think they'll be really focused coming into this one and quite pumped up um, and with where we are and where they are um, I just do worry that we'll be exposed uh, on the backside by them um, that you know Jamar Chase is not going to have two weeks in a row like that um, and even if he does you know you've got T Higgins and others to worry about too and I just think they're going to be a bit too strong for us uh, aerially I think we'll start quite strong uh, it needs the pa- if we have any chance at all we need to uh, get to Burrow early and we need that pass rush to be creative inventive and, 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 and shake him up a little bit so his confidence is knocked but um, I fear it'll be too much and I'm going to say that the final score will be 31-20 uh, Bengals I think we'll stay quite close for a while but they'll score a touchdown close to the end the 20 is uh, is actually be three touchdowns for us but we'll miss uh, a, uh, a two pointer uh, to stay within an easy two score so um, yeah that's, that's my prediction and also the prop I'll go with uh, I think Roquan uh, Smith will have that early uh, sack fumble recovery for a touchdown okay uh, and so Ian we'll come to you for uh, what I'm guessing is going to be a dose of optimism 
I really want to be optimistic. I really do, but I, I can't. It's too, it's too early in the season. What I saw last week. I think the, the only way the, the Ravens win this game is if they get a really fast start on offense. And I just, I, I don't see that happening. Um, I think they need to jump out to a lead and then, and then sort of play with that lead as they have done for, for a couple of years. And, and the offense is still, still trying to get its stuff together. So. Unfortunately, I've got the Bengals winning this one. We're all going pretty close. I've got 27-20 Bengals. Um, my props never get close. They're, they're never even close. So I'm going to go fairly bold on this one. And I'm going to give Justice Hill over 50 receiving yards. I don't think we've seen a Ravens running back catch many passes for a long time. I think Munkin's going to get the, the running backs involved. So Justice Hill. Okay. And uh, I'm not going to add any optimism either, unfortunately. Um, I'm just too worried about this secondary against um, the the Bengals passing attack. I think that once you take Marcus Williams and Marlon out of this secondary, I think you've got one of the worst secondaries in the league, maybe, um, well, certainly in the bottom quarter. Uh, And I think that's not a good match for the Bengals. So I don't have it that close. I think um, Cincinnati 34, uh, Baltimore 16. Um, and I am going to say that uh, OBJ gets his first TD as a Raven. That's going to be my prop. Um, so hopefully we will be wrong about those uh, predictions. Um, you can join your fellow Ravens and uh, commiserate or celebrate, depending on how it turns out, at one of three locations across the country. Three meetups happening uh, simultaneously, Glasgow, Newcastle and Bristol. Tickets available for all three of those, as reported in local news in at least one of those cities. Uh, They did say that the Baltimore Ravens had set up in Newcastle, which is a little bit of an exaggeration, but still, it's local news. What can you? They've got to take the excitement where they can get it. Get your tickets for those if you if uh, you haven't already, uh, and also have a look at tickets for the London weekend. UKRavens.org is uh, where you can go and find the links for all of those. We'll be back next week reviewing week two and previewing the Ravens week three. And please. Please let us not be considering any more injuries. Uh, if you want to be involved with the show, please email us at hello at ukravens.org. And until next time, let's go Ravens. Thank you for listening to the UK Ravens podcast. This podcast is created, hosted and produced by members of the UK Ravens. Join the community on social media at ukravens and facebook.com forward slash ukravens. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the UK Ravens podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. To be involved with the show, email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. For more info, links, and to stay up to date, visit www.ukravens.com. Buttons. Um... Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> I can just insert it because now it's like spinning wheel up there. It's not going. Has Shane's mic gone like really funny for anyone else, or is that just me? Yeah, doing it for everybody. No, no, you're back oh, now. Yeah. Back. Now you're fine. Yeah, yeah. Did you hear no, that? That was while I had the meet the media thing open so definitely not doing it no, i okay. just hit the dr- i just hit the drum roll i was I just playing that with it didn't you hear it either. No. only i could hear it okay it's interesting
Weird. So you also logged in as a host, Ben? Um, I just logged in and I don't know. I just I just logged in as the way I normally log in, which is using oh. the Gmail account. Okay. Um, and the password. All of this will just get added on to the end, won't it? Okay. Right, let's start.